Hi everyone, I'm Steppy, compulsive overeater. Uh, for everyone who knows me, the biggest challenge is going to be for me to string two sentences together at 8.52 a.m. So God help me. God help me. Okay. Um, what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like now. I'm going to probably spend very little time on what I was like because, well, actually, no. Who the hell knows what I'm going to say? That's going to come out. I um, was a very, I'm an only child. I was a skinny rail. I was an athlete, a ballerina, never had a weight problem, uh, straight-A student, just one of those people that I was kind of targeted because I was always the teacher's favorite. Not because I wanted to, but because I was smarter. I was the you know, ballerina, which were, again, when, where I was growing up, that was rather strange and it, you know, unique. So I was picked on for being different in that way, in a good way. Um, I don't remember taking comfort in food. In fact, I was a skinny rail, and my parents always had to. I actually vividly remember them chasing me around the house to feed me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I always ate fruit and sweet things, but for the life of them, they could not get me to eat meat or anything that was good for me. And you know what? I'm still the same. I'll still take something sweet over something that's nutritious any day. And I have 31 years of abstinence, and my dream is one day, you know, I'm going to know I'm going to die in a week, and I'll just have a dozen bear claw donuts and bonbons in bed. Who knows if that will happen or not, but that's 31 years for you people. Um, So, but with all of these benefits from the outside, I always felt less than on the inside. I felt different. I felt, I don't know why these people all want to be my friends or why they're picking on me. Don't they know what I'm like inside? Um, it's, it's, they don't know. This is just a facade. Um, in program, I learned why I felt those things, but from a family standpoint, I just had parents who fought a lot and eventually got a divorce. There wasn't any kind of abuse that I am aware of after a lot of inventory and discussion with um, therapists. Typical, I mean, nothing, just run-of-the-mill, run-of-the-mill level of dysfunction, not any kind of hideous. So many times I hear stories in these rooms, and I am in awe of how people recover because, damn, I'm still trying to undo 11 years of living with my parents with just trivial dysfunction. How the hell do people come back from some of the stuff I've hurt? My hat is just off to them. So um, feeling different, feeling less than, no particular reason to. Um, I started going to food I think between 11 and 12. Um, in one year, my parents got a divorce. They shipped me off to boarding school. And I got my period. And I, I remember very distinctly, um, I'm from Iran, I remember very distinctly right before 
going to boarding school, sitting there having crackers with butter. And I remember looking down and saying, I hate butter. Why am I eating this? I think I was watching Star Trek. I had, yeah, and Scotty and, and dubbed in Farsi is just not Scotty. Now I know. Um, it's, it's very different. Um, I could not understand why I was having crackers with butter. That was the first time I remember questioning myself. Why am I eating something I don't like? Um, didn't know. Then I went off to boarding school. And in an all-girls boarding school, you know, maybe these days it's all drugs and alcohol. Then it was just... The wildest thing I did that we all did was either run behind a shed and smoke or run off to town and buy bags of chocolate. So the level of my rebellion was limited to buying bags and bags of chocolate and having midnight feasts after lights went off. Um, weight went, my weight went up. And, um, and that started about three, four years of Gaining weight during school years, going home, my parents being horrified um, at my weight gain. And here is the thing. My cousin and I were together in the sporting school. And this is how I know I'm different. Aside from the fact that as a high-achieving skinny rail, I felt different. My cousin and I were in the school together. And we'd go, we'd gain weight, as teenage girls do. And we'd go back home. And we'd start our summer vacation. And my cousin had, she was a chubby teenager. She would have a perfectly normal summer. She would swim, she would water ski, she'd go out and see her friends, she'd participate in life. And I'd spend, and I, I didn't know how she could do that. And I thought I was hideous. And I'd spend the first month of summer in heat, swimming, in, uh, with a t-shirt on, hiding myself. So two completely tip you know, two instances, two use cases that are identical. And the way we approached life was completely different. I was in my own self-imposed prison, and that pattern really never changed. It doesn't matter what circumstance you want to put on it. But I lived within the confines I set for myself because I was so hideous. And my cousin, who looked just like me, just my weight, participated in life. And I could probably stop talking here because that's all this disease is. The world is full of heavy people who, in my opinion, who are happy, who participate in life, who um, there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. They are just thriving. And it takes, even today, very, very conscious effort on my part to say, this is not real. Terrell just had to tell me what's not real. Th that's all it is. And it's a constant challenge to say, this is not real. This is not real. Remove these shackles from my brain all the time. And the difference between now and 30 years ago is that I recognize the mental shackles a lot more rapidly. A lot more rapidly. That's all it is. Nothing has changed about, you know, where I go to as a natural instinct. I intuitively go to a place of character defects that are um, listed very accurately, much better than I can in the 12 steps. And all I have to show for my time is a toolkit for counteract that a lot more rapidly rather than saying, rather than first stuffing it because I don't know what to do with that at, because I didn't even know what it was that I was addressing. And then um, in early abstinence, just staying in it for weeks and weeks and months and months until Terrell snapped me into shape.
boom. Um, I heard about, oh, okay, it's college, don't remember. <laughs> I remember speed, I remember coke, I remember all the uppers in order to lose my appetite, and in reality, I just ate faster. I've said that, and I know this, I'm not trying to be funny, but that's what a, that's, if, if you're not a real drug addict, that's what you do with speed. That's the impact it has on you. You just do it faster. Um, I genuinely do. I was in the most beautiful school in Denver, University of Denver. I remember Aspen. I remember Vail. I don't remember college. I think I went through quarters without actually having ever bought the books. And this is, the, I'm, I'm not a drug addict. This is all food, food blur. Um, graduated, moved to California. My family lived in California. I remember, um, I've said this many times, the first time I was introduced to the term compulsive overeater was in a a Cosmo magazine. Sorry, I'm still not a morning person. Cosmo (laughs) magazine. Um, I read the term, the definition, and they drew an analogy to alcoholics and um, Alcoholics Anonymous. At that point, I did not know any alcoholics. I'd never been to an AA meeting. But I knew of the program, and immediately it gave credence to, wow, this is something real. If it is analogous to this known institution and this known disease, then I'm not uniquely effed up. There's something to this. Uh, shortly thereafter, a friend 12 step me. I came to a meeting. I saw Jack, Mario, Kari, uh, I think probably Bobby and... Carol are the only people who remember them. I mean, Jack, obviously, but Mario and Kari. Um, and I was hooked immediately because they all started talking. They had been a few hundred pounds, and they all looked normal and skinny. And I was totally on board. And then they said God, and I was like, oh, no. No, surely you just know this can't be. No, this is a cruel joke. And it was a cruel joke. Um, yeah, I, I grew up um, very much looking down on the concept of God and religion, just complete disdain for it. It's the crutch of the masses, according to my doctor parents. Um, so I was up, but exactly as they say in the 12 steps, that the seed was planted. You just kind of know. You know like you know like you know that you're eventually going to have to do this. Um, I got in a car accident, broke my pelvis, was in Cedar sinai was out for a couple of weeks, woke up. First, I made sure I could walk. Then I asked if I'd lost any weight, and I had. <laughs> it makes sense to all of you. I know you've heard this before. I apologize, but it's my story. Isn't that what you ask? You know, I've been out two weeks. Have I lost weight? Of course you have. Um, and then um, I had to be on a walker for a few months, and it was, you know, not these fancy walkers I see now. I think some of them have trays or they, they do things. This was 30-some-odd years ago. You had to pick it up, put it down, pick it up, put it down. And remember, people, my pelvis was broken, so every step hurt. I started gaining weight. I want you to understand, with that level of pain, with that effort, I started gaining weight. So that's how many trips I made to the fridge. Imagine taking a step and it, it hurts all the way 
through your body, and I started gaining weight. I am committed to this disease. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, I just kind of I came in, and then from there on, I, I came in, and I always say this. I adore, adore the fact that there's no right way of doing this program. I love it. Um, I'd come in after the meeting started and leave before it ended, number one, because I didn't want to hold anybody's hand. Number two, I didn't know what the hell the prayers were. I didn't. Um, so I didn't want to look stupid. God forbid I'd look stupid and, you know, I could. Anyway, so I love the fact that there's no right way of doing this. Now, having said that, the sooner the, that you do what they tell you to do, what your sponsor tells you to do, the sooner you'll get relief. But the, at step two of AA says that our primary characteristic is defiance. And I never thought that. I thought of myself as a very um, compliant, kind, selfless. Yeah. There's no difference, absolutely no difference between me and the alcoholic who screws up the whole event because it's all about them. And it's, it, there's absolutely no difference. My journey in OA has from then on just been slow and steady. You all know I come here, you know, I've been coming steadily, but half of you don't know me because I sleep back there. I, yeah, pretty much, I sleep back there. Um, but I show up, I have shown up, I have worked the steps. Um, I have always had a sponsor. You know, I hear this. Okay, Michael, you're going to have to explain this to me. I don't know why in, in Pacific Group they say, my name is so-and-so. I have a sponsor. My sponsor has a sponsor. To me, that's the way it's supposed to work, so I'm not sure why it's noteworthy. But, yeah, you can tell me that after the meeting. Um, but I've always had a sponsor. I've always worked the 12 steps, however haltingly. However, imperfectly, not haltingly, um, I do what they tell me to do. And I genuinely do have a life beyond my wildest dreams, in spite of the fact that I'm always bitching and moaning. <laughs> so let's get that out. It's never enough. And yet when I think about it, when I think about the things I used to fantasize I did not even know what the hell to ask for. I genuinely didn't. Um, I would think of being the CEO of a firm. And then the minute I thought about the responsibility, I'd pick up a bag of M&Ms. I'd think about, um, what the hell did I think about? You know what, I, I still can't think. Let's, let's go back to not thinking. So, um, the, the tools that are incredibly important that have impacted my journey. AA book, I remember reading it obviously in the beginning, had no clue what they're talking about. <laughs> what the hell do I have in common with a dude in the, you know, a stockbroker in 1935? <laughs> I never woke up and said, God damn it, tomorrow I'm going to face this. I'm, I'm, that's not me. Um, AA's 12 and 12. When I came in, it was, we didn't have OA's 12 and 12, so I stuck with what works for me. When OA's 12 and 12 came out, I absolutely read it and I did the steps once through that, but I've, I've really gone back to AA because I don't want to mess with what worked for me. 
And what worked for me was the way I did it in the beginning. Oh, God, I haven't said what the hell my abstinence is. I'm sorry. My abstinence is refraining from uh, refined sugar. Refined sugar. Because, as I said, my issue was never, ever pizza, steak, bread. I've always been a sweets person. So the way my, my abstinence started was I was in... Um, where we used to have kitchen sink, log cabin. And Doris, Jean, they were the lovely people. Hopefully they're in heaven somewhere. And this, after the meeting, this sweet woman came up to me and said, Hi, um, welcome. And she said, Okay, what, how do you eat? And I told her how I ate. And she said, Do you think you could not have sugar for one day? And I said, Hell no. And she said, okay, do you think you cannot have refined sugar for one day? And I said, what does that mean? And she said, come with me. So after the meeting, we went to Irwan Health Food Store. And she introduced me to fruit juice sweetened, honey sweetened, all sorts of sweetened, sweetened, sweetened things. So we started with no refined sugar. Of course, in the beginning, I'd have... You know, a bag, uh, a pound of fruit juice sweetened granola, or Erwan used to have these peanut butter fruit juice sweetened cookies that if I were to have one now, I'd be in bed for three days. Uh, but that's how it started. And over the years, I've never been able to will myself into not eating. Let me, let me be really clear on that. Uh, Natalie used to say to me, can you, can you put one spoon of sugar-free frozen yogurt away. Can you put one bite of something sugar-free away? And I, I could do one. And then I'd get on my knees and um, every day, and i say, God, please, I can't have my stomach be ripped apart by this artificial shit anymore. And then what would happen is one day, I'd go to the store, and I would somehow magically have the ability to not buy it. I've never willed myself into anything, but I've always taken a tiny little action. I've never found the will, I've never found anything to magically work out because I prayed enough. I found things to magically work out if I did a tiny, tiny little step and then God took the rest. Um, my favorite saying in the program is action is the magic word. That has, that's just like etched in my brain because I'm the poster child of paralysis, perfectionism, paralysis. I'm the poster child of I will do this when. I can do this when. And action is the magic word. Please, God, let it actually be in the big book. Is it really in the big book? I hope so. <laughs> I hope it's just not a, a sticker that I got. Um, other thing, but th that has managed to, that one little phrase has helped me do something every day that has taken me professionally, personally, in my relationships with my family members. Every day that I do something tiny that I don't want to do, somehow God takes the rest of it. Clearly I'm talking about God, so I overcame my complete disdain. I'm still very much not a... Um, structured religion kind of person, but at least now I understand it's none of my business to pass judgment on it. Again, that's what I have to show for 31 years. I was watching Bill Maher um, last night, and I said, oh my God, that is me. I'm such an a-hole. 
Um, I really am. I really am. That that if I were if I didn't have to do what I have to do to stay abstinent, that I I would be Bill Maher. I just he just doesn't have an eating disorder, so he can be what he is, and I love him. I love him. Um, the books that I, I have to say that for me, the book um, A New Pair of Glasses by Chuck C., which is not a program-approved literature, I don't think, that has been instrumental in my recovery. Um, just for me, uh, he breaks the steps and the act and AA down. In it. First of all, the first 10 years, I had no idea what the hell he's talking about because it's all metaphors. I'm like, huh? Devil, pitchfork, what? Um, but eventually I got it, but I am... I'm not a spiritual giant by any means. I'm not, Carol. Don't look at me like that. I'm so not. I'm very earthy person. I need earthbound person, not earthy. Earthbound person. I need practical instruction on what to do. That book helped me practically what to do. And now AA helps. I mean, now I understand what AA was trying to tell me. I love our program. I um, have some funk going on in my head about work and um, I knew my only job is to be here to talk about this and hopefully help one person if I do that my deal my interpretation of the 12th step is that that is my only job when I do that job the, the, my actual professional job and everything else will be taken care of it's that cut and dried for me um, I adore this program. I think it's extremely um, tough in a good way. It cuts to the chase, you know. You, it, it's not about flapping your gums. It's about action. I love it. It is the most direct path to everything I have ever wanted for myself. I've spent ton of money on diets, fat farms, Shots. We've already talked about drugs, therapy, um, professional coaching. None of those get me to where I want to go as rapidly as the 12 steps. Can I be done? Okay, I'm done. Thank you for letting me share. Okay. Okay, party people. I think this is the real difficult part. Okay. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that my opinion are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If being, if being recorded. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. If being recorded, I have to restate. Okay, questions will be until 9.35. So who would like, who has a question for me? I think I was very clear. So there should be no questions. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. You were very clear. We didn't talk about everything. So uh, could you talk about your romantic? <laughs> and how they have changed and evolved? Sure, sure. Um, my romantic, uh, the question is how my romantic relationships have evolved. Um, when I first, <laughs> Carol, you're going to come in here. Um, for the first, I think, 18, 19 years of my life, uh, well, no, that, let, let's talk about this. 
my romantic relationships in, in, in these 31 years? Well, first, it was all a whole bunch of AA people, because I used to go to, don't ask me why, I used to go to a lot of AA, I've always gone to a lot of AA meetings, because I've always felt it's the mothership. So first, I used to go with people as equally crazy as me, <laughs> and I thought, I have arrived, because drug addicts think I'm cute. <laughs> yeah. Then, so um, I think the things I want to talk about in order to not be funny and actually answer your question. Uh, my husband is someone I would have never, ever, ever imagined for myself. He's the total opposite of every person I had ever been attracted to. Um, but I went, I went through the motions of going out with him, following the instructions of a sponsor, and that's a perfect example of 12 steps doing for me what I could not do for myself, which is I found a level of um, intimacy that I didn't even know existed. My upbringing had not led me to believe this is possible. This is one of those places where I say, um, God, you, you know, I have a life beyond my wildest dreams. My dad and all the men in my life never, ever set a good role model for me. So I thought that's what a man is supposed to be. That's what a relationship with a husband and wife are supposed to be. And following the instructions of my sponsor, I kept going with the guy who was unexciting uh, to me. And all of a sudden, I found out, oh, my God, there is a level. I don't have to be like this. So that's a direct result. And, and then I got married. And then the first few years of my marriage, my whole focus was on his drinking. Then he got sober, and then I went back to being crazy about my job. So the, <laughs> Terrell has heard me go through years of, I have this disease, then years of Wayne is drinking, then years of this is happening. Oh, God, I just said my company's name. Sorry. Um, so everything, it's, it's beyond my wildest dream following the instructions of a sponsor, not my head. That is what it has changed. And now it's beautiful. Hope I answered your question. Yes, Bobby. How did you, how did you, and when did you develop and have a higher quality? Okay. Um, I developed, I, I start, my mind opened up the second I got to step two in AA 12 and 12. And it was very early on in my abstinence. There's that phrase that says, for those of us, the intellectuals, if we are really scientifically minded, we really have to look at the data. And I, that was like, oh my God. If I really pride myself on being so bright and so scientific, and I poo-poo this, I'm full of shit. That was the beginning. Um, that was the beginning. And then... The, then um, I think I read that even before my usual story, which is two weeks into the, um, you know, of course, I read everything right the first week because I thought if I read it, I got it. Um, the, the, it started very gradually by asking this entity that I absolutely did not think would, why the hell would, if there is a God, why would he care about my appetite? Doesn't he have... Wars and um, you know other things to take care of and alcoholics, drug addicts, those are chemical things. 
Why would he care about my appetite? So it started extremely slowly, um, but the beginning was that one phrase that says, if I genuinely dismiss, I have such a closed mind, I'm not scientific. And then I did a lot of things that I thought I'm talking to air, Um, and every time I thought I'm talking to air, something happened that I could not have foreseen that ended up working out for me in a way that I wouldn't have envisioned. Uh, And then uh, enough data points collected so that I thought there is something. So now, for me, it's easier to think of God The word God, for me, it's easier to have that image of a grandfather with white beard in the sky because, as I said before, I'm very earthbound. I don't have time for esoteric things. So I'm just adhering to something very old-fashioned, but it's slow. It developed very slowly. Thank you. Anything? You haven't asked me anything. Really? Nothing? Okay. Okay. Ah, screw you. (laughs) So my brother asked me to talk about body image. Yeah. 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 Because he heard me (laughs) for years. Talk for years. Talk about. I'm a tight size zero. I used to be a loose size zero. (laughs) That's what you wanted me to say? Oh, the peach, yeah. Okay. So I lived in West Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this is the... Oh, God. So Terrell, as you all know, is my brother. I love him to pieces. Um, that's the most one of the most important relationships I've gotten out of this. I'm an only child, and I've always wanted a brother, and I got one. I've always wanted a brother. So Terrell and I used to go, we lived close to one another, we used to go out to dinner once a week, and I would have to Chinchin or someplace else in West Hollywood, and I would have my extremely dry salad with protein and vegetables and everything, and he would have a normal meal. And then I would complain that I'm not meeting any men. Now, I'm living in West Hollywood, I'm going <laughs> to a gay gym, I, I, um, that's, you know, so all I did was exercise in a gay gym, go to work, and then have, my only interaction was with Terrell. So, he would try to explain to me politely, you know, I think men want something different. (laughs) I think, you know, when I think of a woman, I think a woman should be a juicy peach, and I'd say, fuck that shit. I want to be a shriveled prune. Leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> so slowly, yeah, there goes all pretense of not swearing. Uh, I really, I managed to do that for, 90, uh, for 30 minutes, and then all bets are off. So then slowly, he got me to just kind of, I think I added almonds to my salad. That that was a huge accomplishment. And then I would dip my fork in in, um, salad dressing. So Zan and I were were both very adamant that we were perfectly content being shriveled prunes and screw this juicy peach shit. Um, And then, of course, when I became a juicy peach, then it was all like, Jesus Christ, it's a tight size zero. So... Now I've gotten to the point I should probably get to the recovery. Yeah. 
now I've gotten to the point where I pretty much can wear the clothes that I wore, that I bought 30 years ago, early abstinence. They're tighter. They're definitely tighter. But fortunately, I understand maybe it's not appropriate for a 56-year-old to wear what she wore at 26. (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't be wearing the same stuff. Um, And I also... I definitely am still batshit crazy in that area. No ands, ifs, or buts about it. So I got to tell you, and it's just who I am. I'm grateful that I have the framework to deal with it, but if my clothes are tight that day, I have to fight tooth and nail to be of service to my job. It's that simple. But I, but I have the tools to call you, to call my sponsor, to say for the next hour, I have to work on an RFP. I'm going to work on that. Every five seconds, if I have to call you, I'm going to not think about my thighs. So that's my body image. I may ask you to not publish this, just because I just said the name of my company, a whole bunch of swear words. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much for your share. Sure. Um, do you have any daily practices? Yes. I wake up 525, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, by Thursday. I'm, I'm like, screw that. Um, I read the, the big book. I read either Upon Awakening or uh, Dr. Alcoholic Addict. That Those are my, the, my two go-tos. And then every now and then I say, okay, I'm tired. I, I go through other places I've outlined. Uh, I meditate for about 10 minutes. My head goes all over the place, but I constantly say, how can I be of service? How can I be of service? How can I be of service? It, I cannot tell you that I've had 10 minutes of quiet. I've had 10 minutes of sitting still. Um, I take calls from my babies when I can at work, and I email my sponsor when I can, and I have my iPhone with me, and many times in the middle of a meeting, I pull up a prayer when I'm bored silly. Those are my practices. That's it. And, and I do work there. It's not daily, but I work. I actively work the steps all the time. Okay? Yes, Don? Do you still get food cravings, and if so, how do you deal with them? Do I still get food cravings? And if so, how do I deal with them? I still would rather eat sweets all the time. I mean, um, to this day, if I have to write a difficult memo, if I have to write, do something difficult, I have a sugar-free candy. That sweet taste is still my crutch. Um, It's gotten to the point where I don't act on my food cravings because... I get really, my body just can't support it. I, I just get hungover. I mean, I think when you get to a certain age, you can't take excess food. I had a small frozen yogurt, sugar-free frozen yogurt, after not having what, had one for about a year. And honestly, I was nauseous for two days. So I still keep going past Big Chill, and I say, and I'm like, ugh. I just remember how awful I felt for three days. So the not acting on it, not coming from um, willpower, coming from the, the memory of the last nausea still being vivid. So I still get them, but just the nauseous memory is more powerful than the craving. Do you have a question? Yeah. Um, so for sure. Sure. Uh, uh, something that you haven't talked about today that you often do, and I think it's a great thing to be reminded of, 
Oh, my sepiitis. Yes. Thank you. Yes, sepiitis. So, Terrell and I, thank you. I shall be happy to talk about sepiitis. So, as I said, yeah, thank you. It's good to have people who know me. Um, as I said, um, you know, I, went, I rapidly went through the phases of what I focused on. So, before I got married, poor Terrell and Natalie had the mis- our sponsor, had the misfortune of either hearing about my type size zero or I had a disease du jour. So I'm a hypochondriac. And, um, yep, thank you, Carol. Carol. Um, and every week it was a new fatal disease. I got this. I'd go spend massive amounts of money. I'd have a doctor look at me really questioning my sanity. Um, and... It was sepiitis, and I explained, and I, I think in a meeting I said what that did for me, because Natalie had me do step six and seven on it. And you have to say, what does this character defect do for you? And I realized this rapidly going to I'm dying, what it did for me is I'm dying. I'd have, you know, diarrhea and, and excuse me, and I, I would be nervous for a week till I got there. I, I was not in the moment. I didn't have to be any place. I'd get the results from the doctor that, no, you're not dying. That's a pimple. <laughs> really, my first mammogram was, I think I was 31 or 2, and it literally was a pimple. Um, and then what, where it paid off is, I got a new lease of life. I'm not dying, so let me go binge. I can st- Now, let me go binge within the confines of my abstinence. So here goes a big frozen yogurt, sugar-free frozen yogurt, or something else sugar-free. Because guess what? I'm not dying. Who cares that it's a, I need to be a loose size zero? And it absolutely served a purpose. It absolutely took me out of the moment. Um, I absolutely was not present. I know how to do that. I know how to do that very well because I've done that 5,000 times. And then when I realize I'm not dying, okay, I can eat a little more today. And that's what it did for me. Thank you for asking that. Do you still struggle that at all? should I really give the answer to that one, to what it has turned into? Now, no, I don't struggle with that. I actually don't struggle with that. No, honestly, that sepiitis moved to... Wayne is drinking, my husband. Then he got sober. Then it being work. This is happening to work. So what I'm clear on is that I have got to have someplace, something to obsess about irrationally. That's the common denominator. And tomorrow, if I become the CEO of our firm, it will be. I need to learn how to grow wheat because we're running out of wheat in the world. I'll find something. I'll find something. I absolutely will find something. I'm, I'm convinced of that. Okay? Is it time? Does anybody have a question where it doesn't make me look like an idiot? Yes. Can you talk about amends you made in recovery? Sure. Sure. Um, big amends at step nine. I had stolen a little money here and there from family members to buy food. And when I told them what I did... It was extremely difficult for me because they don't even understand the concept of 12 steps for food. So they all kind of like tilted their head like, you did what? Why didn't you ask for it? 
uh, that was extremely humbling. I did, you know, it's, it all related to food. Um, and I didn't have that much, that many amends then. But my step 10 is ongoing. I, you know, at work, I managed to act out of fear and anger, ego-driven something the big book says, all the time. And fortunately, now the time between my tirade and when I go back to a colleague and say, I'm sorry, I was off the rails, is about five minutes, and I don't have to beat myself up for weeks. That still happens, and I'm so grateful I can do that. And everyone at my firm thinks I'm a little cuckoo, but they also don't take my stuff, my outbursts seriously, because I've done it enough times that they know my, um, I will come back and own up on my part. Okay, thank you.